Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Kabir Shahani joins me today on the What Fuels You podcast. Kabir was recently recognized by Goldman Sachs as one of the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. He was the co-founder and CEO of Aperture, a platform in healthcare for marketing automation, which grew to a multi-million dollar business and sold in 2013. Now Kabir is busy building another successful business, Amparity, which has raised $37 million in funding so far. He's a husband, a father, and an overall just awesome guy. Welcome, Kabir. Thanks, Shauna. I'm so psyched. We're both like laughing because it, it really is like we're on the radio together. Totally. And it feels weird to hear you say husband and father because it makes <laughs> me feel really old. But I love both those things. And I, and I also so. love that we're joking that we both are like on these programs and we need beers here instead of our coffee. But I like how you took it black because you're on your Whole30. Whole30, last day. So what does that mean? No no, Dude, no it's dairy? crazy. No booze, no added sugar, no dairy, no grain. No legumes. Do you feel great? Yeah. Yeah, you walked up and I was like, dude, you're skinny. Really? Great. But you were not heavy before. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't trying to. I just wanted to be healthy. And I'm going to try to gonna adopt booze, some of the good habits I learned. tonight. Okay, so we're going to start with rapid fire. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, ready? Yes. Okay, Huskies or Seahawks? Huskies and Seahawks. Oh, jeez. What do you mean, or Seahawks? Quality you seek out in a co-founder. Thoughtful, balancing, calm. Yeah. Smart, technical. <laughs> That's a lot of qualities. I like it. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. What's your favorite app? Instagram. God, that's annoying and embarrassing. But... <laughs> What's your go-to workout? Oh, Peloton. All uh, the way. You love your Peloton. Oh, my Lord. Addicted. A skiing or snowboarding? Skiing. Okay, nice. Well, you're fast. I like it. Okay, so Kabir, you and I are like two of the last standing. You grew up here, right? I did mostly. So I grew up in Kansas City oh, until nice. eighth grade. Like Dorothy. I yes, didn't realize that. Okay. yes, until eighth grade. So my family moved here when I was in eighth grade. And what brought you to Seattle? My dad just got a job offer uh, from a company he really wanted to join. So uh, I didn't really have a lot of options, and it was super hard. And what did he do? What did your dad do? He worked in pharmaceutical marketing, which was uh, a seed from our last company. So that was kind of where that gene ah. came from. Well, we'll get to that. I didn't realize that. And so do you have siblings? I don't. You're I'm an only child? The lonely existence of an only child. And you got where'd you get your extroversion from? Who'd you play with? Uh, my neighbors and good family friends. And I, nice. I think I did okay making friends. Yeah. Um, I was lucky that I had a lot of people when I moved here that were very warm and yeah. So you moved you know, here in eighth grade. Yes, that's a tough year to move. It was a tough year. You to were move. the new kid, and so what yes. would those kids say about you? Oh my gosh! Uh, and I still, I, it's funny you say that because one of my the the first person who ever walked up to me in orchestra class of all things uh, and said, "Hi, I'm Mike." You're new. We should be friends or whatever he said. Actually, just texted me like literally this morning. Um, What what instrument did you play? Played the violin for a long time. Do you still play? Uh, That's a complicated question. I started when I was four years old. And uh, like many things in my life, I was very intense about it. And uh, I kind of burned out by the time I got to college. So I was playing competitively 
uh, as early as middle school. Mm. Uh, I, I had some incredible experiences, like got to travel the world playing violin. I didn't grade, realize that about you. Grade. Yeah, it was super, super cool. That is did awesome. Did you know you could letter an orchestra? Well, I did not know that. But I, out, I have talked about this. Like, I burnt out also. I kind of peaked young. I played competitive tennis. Oh, no way. And peaked young. Mm-hmm. It's like you can really overdo something and be like, eh. Right. Like kind of like hang it up. Did right. you hang up the violin? Well, kind of. So I tried to play for fun when I got to college, and it quickly became like, oh, you should major in music, and like we want to give you a scholarship, and which was really flattering. But I also was not interested in pursuing it as a career, mm-hmm. uh, and so it kind of took the the fun out of doing it joyfully. Yeah. Um, and so I haven't played. The last time I really played, so my my wife and I started dating right after we graduated from college. You went to UW, right? I went to UW. And you met her there? I did, senior year. And she had never heard me play the violin the entire time we were dating, engaged. And so I brushed up and I took lessons and I surprised her at our wedding reception and played. And that's the last time I played. That is so I haven't really... Awesome. It was really cool. I feel really happy about it. But uh, I really want to. And now that we have two little kids, like I think... I want to pick it back up and try to teach them and, you know. It's incredible. Yeah, and I think just music's such an important part of life. Like, it's this incredible art. uh, And especially for children, I think it develops parts of your brain. Yeah. So um, tell me more about your parents because I know that you've spoken about them. I've read about things that you said. How did they shape you? Yeah. I mean, my parents, um, it's, it's in many ways the classic immigrant story. Um, and so I watched them both work very, very hard, uh, from, you know, my dad came to America, um, in 1978 from, uh, from India. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he's not a technical guy. He wasn't a engineer, but a very, very smart guy and more in the sort of economics and language and speech and just mm-hmm. a really he just he's just he's just a very high capacity person um <clears throat> but didn't have that clear hey i'm an engineer i'm a doctor or I'm, you know in no computer science path. or any of those kinds of things exactly um and built a really great career in marketing uh but i i watched him at many times work two jobs you know my mom uh, worked the entire time I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by the time I was in middle school, you know, my family had sort of developed to the point where my mom didn't necessarily need to work um, for them to to pay the bills. Um, but that wasn't really in her DNA, so she tried that for about a year, and mm-hmm. that didn't go very well. So like, I'm not a work. stay-at-home mom, type. right? Yeah, right. So, um, so it was interesting in those really formative years where you see, and even at, at times, I remember both of my parents working two jobs. And I know that sounds So who cool, took care of you when you came home? My or grandmother. You were music? No, my grandmother. Oh. So my my dad's mom, who I'm I was obviously was very still feel very close to her. She passed away in 2012. Um, but still feel very, very close to her. She was, you know, another mom, right? Yeah. So uh she was there every day and lived with I love us. That. And yeah. Did you guys ever do that? Kind of I love that of the a lot of immigrant families, and I've always said to David, I mean, one of our two moms might live with us. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, it's super cool. I don't know, independent of whether or not we would do it, I don't think my mom would do it, yeah. uh, or my wife's mom would do it. I think, Or your they, wife. <laughs> right, or my wife. I think, I think they, I think, you know, it's interesting because now my parents have lived in America longer than they lived in India. Mm-hmm. So their customs, their culture, there's obviously a ton of sort of the Indian... Um, mentality and mm-hmm. culture and mindset 
that they each have, but there's also a lot of American mm-hmm. uh, or a lot was of Western. Was Noreen's parents, is she first generation? She is. So Noreen's family is third generation from East Africa. Mm. And you probably know there's a huge Indian population mm-hmm. in East Africa. So um, she was born there and then they immigrated here when she was like two years old. So, um, you know, we both kind of saw that that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and And in particular for me, you know, in... Uh, Kansas City, you know, it was a time where, you know, I don't want to say it was as overtly racist as the South, but, you know, it certainly wasn't uh, comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and, you get bullied? Uh, I don't think I got, I don't, I didn't feel. I can't picture you because you're such, you're, I just feel like you're so relatable to everyone, but I understand from friends, if you look different or feel different. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely, um, I'm sure I got made fun of. I, I remember sort of like, you know, neighbors laughing at the food and like things like that that would mm-hmm. never happen in the Pacific Northwest, by the way. And I frankly, I don't think it happens in Kansas City anymore. Um, and so I remember experiences like that. And then I remember some actually very painful, um, you know, overtly racist situations like coming home in, I think it was third grade. And somebody had like spray painted a swastika on the front of our house, and like Are you a nice neighborhood. Me? No, it was pretty fucked up. Yeah, um, that's so unacceptable. Yeah, like in a pretty nice neighborhood, right? It wasn't like you know we were in this a very is, rural this is, area. By the way, I mean, I don't think overtly racism is like happening maybe to people like you and me, but it's 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 on the rise. It's well, really scary totally. time right now. Totally, and and it, it's why I think there's been this emotional reaction by many of us um, to the Trump presidency um, is because of what it's bringing out and having lived through some other, I can yeah. give you, you know, half a dozen of those types of stories. And, you know, I, I was, the, the impressions to me looking back on it, one, obviously is how painful that experience was. Two, I have to give, you know, my dad a ton of credit because they sort of didn't, didn't skip a beat, right? Like mm-hmm. the next morning there was somebody power washing the front of the house and getting things cleaned up. And it's always like just something that happened and yeah. there wasn't like a big, you know, brouhaha. No about victimizing. It. About right. It. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. I think builds a ton of grit and a ton of um, tenacity and how you deal with adversity. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So you ended up going to high school here and then you stayed here and went to UW. Yeah, which was this extraordinary uh, experience because you went from, I'll never forget the contrast. You go from a place where you're sort of embarrassed to be different, it doesn't feel normal to be different. And then you move to a place where it's like exciting and cool. I remember my parents laughing because they were like, oh, my gosh, you never wanted to, like, eat the food or listen to the music, and now that's all you want to do. Well, it's because you go to school, everybody's really interested and fascinated. And to the point where, you know, um, we do – We it, it, I went to Issaquah High School, and in, in that school district we do Tolo, which is kind of like Sadie Hawkins, yeah. right? And all the girls in our group wanted to go in Indian garb. And my mom's, like, brain exploded. She was like, this is crazy. Like, all these – you know, American white girls wanting to wear Indian clothes. Well, it's which, beautiful. Right. She was thrilled by it, right? Yeah, but that would never have happened, you know, um, kind of uh, did earlier they do in it? my life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. It was super oh, fun. Yeah. It was super it's, fun. It's beautiful. Um, and so it's, it's been fascinating to watch. You know, I was um, I was chatting, uh, you know, you probably, somebody you should have on the show, Sunny Gupta, mm. right, who just um, is in the process of selling Aptio to mm. Vista for $2 billion. And, you know, we were, we were having dinner the other night and he said, uh, Oh yeah, Ind- Indians aren't considered diverse anymore when it comes to board seats. So like, we're not. We don't. You don't get to check the diversity box. And I'm. I'm part of me. It was like, well, that's you kind need of to a- get women, Indian women. That would probably work. That would but work. it was kind of funny. He was like, yeah, like we don't fit the mold as diversity. And a part of me was like, oh, that kind of stinks. Part of me was like, that's really great. It's like, really great. You know. So no, there's been this amazing. It's evolution. really really great. And so you studied informatics. Like, what is mm-hmm. that? 
So as somebody who is like a sociology major. <laughs> yeah, well, as a sociology major, hopefully you can relate to it. It's where computer science meets human-computer interaction. Okay. Um, and so what I loved about that program, and I, I actually transferred back to the UW to be able to go in that program. So I originally left Seattle and went to school in Washington, D.C. for two years mm. at American University because a whole bunch of reasons. And I thought I wanted to do pre-med and I loved politics and it was sort of the best blend of that at that school. And it was close to Johns Hopkins and there was all these things. But I realized I, the, you know, the nerd in me wasn't going to ever go away. And I really wanted to, to stay close to technology. And this program spoke to me because I didn't feel like I had the skill or patience or brain to be a computer scientist. But I was really fascinated with building systems and architecting systems and building technology. And, and um, the informatics program to me is, is so extraordinary because it lets you go fairly deep technically, not as deep as computer science, right. but you go all the way through operating systems. It's almost like being an econ major versus like microfinance That's or something. Ex- that's a great analogy. It's just right? like the macro view. Right. That's really cool. Right. And so did you have any teachers that kind of had a big influence on you there? Yeah, there were a couple. Um, you know, my computer science, my first computer science professor ended up being the guy who started Google Seattle, Brian Brashad. Oh, wow. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, the most patient man on the planet because I was in his office hours every week trying to get help um, with, you know, different uh, concepts in computer science. And he was just very generous about it. And and that was super influential. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we had a professor in the information school who at the time, you know, was infuriating uh, and and over the years. And now I'm, I'm involved uh, enough with the school that I've had a chance to talk to him about mm-hmm. how powerful and positive his impact was, which was uh, Professor David McDonald, who um, had a, 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 syst- uh, had a, a class called um, Computer Networks. Mm. And it was a very challenging technical class because you weren't necessarily writing code to build a software application. You were writing code to build network-level applications. Um, and so we were doing things like write an instant messaging client. Right, this is you know 2003, so this is right, before, before. You, you have to kind of think about the technology available to you at the time, and so it's like use C to write an instant messaging client, and you know that was like one example of one week's assignment, and you'd go and beat your head in over the wall, and then you'd go to his office hours and you'd say, you know, Dr. McDonald, I can't figure this thing out, I can't figure that thing out, and he had the exact same answer every time you sat in his office, which was, put on your figure it out hat. And we were like, we're asking you because you're the person that we're supposed to get the answer from. And he's like, put on your figure out hat. And I am so grateful that he pushed us. And I think everybody, we were in the cohort system. So I think everybody in our cohort feels the same way, which was it taught us a level of problem solving and self-sufficiency mm-hmm. that I don't know that I would have got if it wasn't for that push. And it, and it forced us to, you know, leverage the Internet in a way that, I think at the time, you know, there wasn't there wasn't nearly as much content. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a, a lot of content, but not as much as today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really pushed us. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and it so was great. when you graduated, what I got from just kind of researching you is that you worked. Um, Avanade was your first job, mm-hmm. and then Blue Dot. That's right. And so in your summers in college, were you doing internships or were you kind of doing like what I did was like teach tennis or lifeguard or that type of job? Yeah, I was. So my summer stories start back in um, sixth grade. My parents made me go to community college in the summers. In sixth grade. Yes. From what I can piece together, there really isn't a concept of summer in India, like summer. like Yeah. So. My parents just keep going. Yeah. They're like, what the hell is this? Like, you're not in school for three months. Like, makes no sense. 
So, well, especially because they were working. They're like, what are we going to do with you? Right. So I, I ended up sitting in these college classes as an like auditing, basically, and not understanding a damn thing that was going on and just trying to keep up and tutors and all that. And so finally, um, by the time I think it was ninth grade summer rolled around, I'd worked up the gusto to go to my dad and say, look, I'm tired of sitting in community college classes. I'm not going to do it anymore. He goes, no problem. You don't have to do it. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you just got to get a job. And he handed me the classified ads. And so I ended up working summer jobs, um, my first summer job uh, before Avanade, which was an internship I started uh, with in college and then mm-hmm. ended up going full-time after I graduated, um, was at a company in Auburn called Zones. So it was an IT reseller. Ah. And so I worked in purchasing. I worked in tech support. And I did all the stuff over the summers, which was really fun. I love your dad. Do you think you're going to parent your girls similarly? Yeah. It's a much different time. Yeah. And, and also you're raising them in a different um class it sounds like yeah i mean i think we do want to um provide the same level of kind of standard and expectation around how to have that performance yeah for sure like push yourself find out the outer bounds of your capability obviously like everybody does we think our kids have tremendous capacity and you know we want to push them as hard as we can but also give them you know learning experiences and opportunities around Mm -hmm. that which i feel like i had as well yeah um so I, I think that's in, that's. It's interesting, though, to take someone who's like, I mean, I'm meeting you at this stage of life. We've met, I don't even know, eight years ago, 10 years ago. And in my mind, I think of you as being this extroverted, very social, kind of moving around, go, 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 go. And I'm trying to picture you being pushed into these like community college right. situations and maybe thinking like, wait, wait, my friends are over there. Yeah. Oh, that was like, I mean, kind I, of having FOMO. Yeah. I wasn't outside playing baseball. Right. Yeah. But it also like that wasn't an option for me, right? It wasn't like, oh, well, do you want to go to community college or do you want to go play baseball? It wasn't like... Yeah, choose. Choose. It was like, hey, this is the path that is important for you to go down. And again, like... And did you ever push back or you just kind of, of course, accepted it? Of course, kicking and screaming. I mean, yeah. multiple times. So Avanade, then you did Blue Dot. And from what I gathered, because those were like shorter stints from the recruiter's perspective, yeah, I saw your background and said, this is somebody who needs to be an entrepreneur and well, not maybe work for someone else. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel less like I was um, pushed away than more I felt pulled. Right? That's what I mean. Like you're the person who's like, hey, I actually think I want to do this like for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and I, I have to give um, the guy I worked for at Avanon, my very first real sort of boss and my real first you know, first real full-time job, a ton of credit because um, I also am very singular focused. And so when I joined Avanade, my intention was I'm here to build my career and it's a great company um, and I'm going to spend the next 20 years and maybe one day I'll be a partner. And mm-hmm. like that was the track I was on. And mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about a lot else. And um, when I was approached by the founders of Blue Dot to join the team early after they'd raised a seed round, uh, I was super compelled by the product. I was super compelled by the idea of a startup. I was mostly compelled by the idea of having equity, which is something that's very important to me with everybody at our company now. And and I feel this way, you know, com- almost, uh, you know, religiously, right? Where like people should have equity in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always a sticking point for me because at Avanade, didn't, some people did, but I was not in that class where I had, mm-hmm. you know, equity in the company. And so when I was approached with the opportunity to join a startup, have equity in a problem space I thought was super interesting, a product I thought was super interesting, um, it was interesting enough that I, and, and this, this goes to show you how much I think I've 
changed a little bit. Um, you know, I, in a, in a deferential way, went to my boss and said, look, uh, these guys approached me about this. Here's the situation. Uh, I'm not going to go if you tell me not to, uh, but I'd love your thoughts on it. And God bless him. He said, look, uh, I'd love for you to stay. Here's a bunch of incentives mm -hmm. that I can offer you if you're willing to stay. Uh, but I can tell you as a friend you should go try this. That's and so cool. It's almost like he took on the mentor hat instead he did. of, like, he, what's in it for me? Well, and what was even crazier was he said, if it doesn't work, call me up and just come back to work the next day. That is awesome. I was like, dude, so I have no downside. So I, I That's like, incredible. All, the, all the risk felt like it was removed, and I, and I was able to pursue that. And obviously, you know, that company did not achieve, you know, what any of us involved were, were hoping for it. So did you meet your co-founder... Of Aperture yes. at one of these companies? I did at, at, at Blue Dot. So he was hired around the same time I was, and mm -hmm. he took a senior engineering leadership role. And uh, we, over the years, really, or, you know, the couple of years we were there, really hit it off. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, what was the idea um, behind the company, and did yeah. you bootstrap it? How yeah, did that beginning yeah. of a few days look? Yeah, the quick version of that was... We decided we wanted to go build a company together before we knew what we wanted to go do. Cool. Um, which was, you know, I think the right thing for us at that age and that time. I was 24 when we started that company. There was a lot of altruism. There was a lot of like, hey, let's just go do something and yeah. figure it out. And um, and so we were almost, you know, uh, we spent a lot of our time talking about culture and standards and what are the kinds of environments in which we'd want to work and where we'd be inspired to do our best work. And then how do we create that and then obviously find the right problem? And and, and there were some benefits to doing it that way. I, I, I don't know that I can say, you know, starting without the problem is something I'd recommend. I love that. Though. I have talked to a few entrepreneurs who have done it that way where they've just been like, I know we work well together and our skill sets complement one another. And I know that I want to build something. Right. A company where we'd want to work. Now right. we just need to go solve a problem. Yeah. So what was the problem that you were so, solving? So that problem was, you know, actually kind of a, a uh, not a different incarnation of almost what we do today, but the idea of, hey, it's at the time in 2007, multi-channel marketing was really challenging. Uh, so, you know, email marketing was becoming a thing, but mm -hmm. text message was really new. And how do you kind of have email and text play well together and surveys and sort of all these different places, as well as how do you use data to do that? And then how do you measure what's working? So it's sort of layers of the problem. Mm -hmm. And it was really more of like, we found an interesting problem to solve with somebody who was willing to help us like, you know, hey, if you guys solve this thing for me, I'll throw you a little bit of money. And so we did bootstrap it for three years, um, kind of in that model. So you funded the business out of the business. Yeah, kind of out of revenue. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, uh, it was, but again, we're talking about a small N, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think when we raised our Series A, we we're doing just a little over a million dollars a year. Revenue. And then you raised that from Madrona? Madrona and Ignition. And Ignition. Right. And how was that fundraising process? Did you Very talk painful. to a lot of people and ended up yes. there? Or are those the first two? Um, well, we did talk to a lot of people. I, to give them credit, um, and particularly Chris Howard, who uh, now is uh, runs a, a firm oh, uh, in the Bay fuel. Area. Yeah, Fuel. That's right. I yeah. knew Chris Howard. Right, right. Oh, I didn't realize he was yeah. involved. So okay, he really cool. he really pushed us to come in and meet with the partners at Ignition. And then, you know, Ignition, it was 2009. So mm. the market Timing was, was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. And so they uh, wanted a syndicate partner. So they got Madrona engaged. And that's mm. how I got to know Madrona. Uh, and so we... We, boot, we we did that Series A, and then, you know, the following three years is when we really sort of 
I feel like became a real company. Like mm-hmm. we went from being like a really cool project with some buddies, you know, the company was 20, 25 people, bootstrapping it. We were sort of doing the best we could. And where were you when you got acquired? How many employees and where we were, were you revenue-wise? We were 63 people and kind of doing the 6 to 10 ramps. So we were somewhere yeah. between 6 and 10 of revenue. Um, and it was a, you know, kind of one of those like, hey – we should think about doing this because mm-hmm. it's a unique opportunity. Um, and yes, we see a lot of upside on the business going forward, but there's also a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. And we had had sort of six years of struggling through, you know, where is your scalability? And so it was a tough decision because we were just starting to find some repeatability. Right. In the business. And how do you get your team on board with that? Is that like you come in one day and make that announcement? Yeah. You know, we, we definitely spent a lot of time you know, getting guidance from, you know, both our board and other people that, that we that we respect and the management team, you know, and, and had very candid conversations amongst, you know, the early team that was there. And then you just you make the call and you, you, you do the best you can with the, d- the data you have. Mm-hmm. And then you roll it out and you roll it out with all the pomp and circumstance that you might expect, but also the reality of like, here's the decision we made and why. And, you know, fortunately, I think everybody was really happy. I don't, I don't, you did know. You, did you talk to more than one company or just IMS or like how? Just, just IMS. Um, and how was their culture compared to your culture and how did that blend? Yeah, you know, um, really different. And uh, I will say, I, I, all, and I, I'm very candid about this. I learned as much in two years with them as I did in the six years operating as an independent company. Because, um, you know, our our CEO was a very seasoned leader and operator. Um, there's a level of rigor and scale there that I had not experienced before. Um, I got to ride, you know, shotgun or, you know, backseat. Um, That's for an MBA IPO. right there. Yeah, it was incredible. So it just really, selfishly, it became, it helped me become, a, I believe, a much more, diligent, rigorous mm-hmm. operator. And how are you different as an operator now versus then? Uh, it's pretty significant in, in my mind. I'd be mm-hmm. curious how other people would think about that. But um, I would say, one, much more focused on systems and process. Um, uh, and even that, I don't think I'm on the extreme end of that, but much more than I was before. Um, much more relentless about execution against our goals. Uh, I would say uh, significantly more focused Mm -hmm. on making sure we understand the steps and the path that we need to take. Um, You know, there's a lot of hygiene that you need in a fast growing business or a business at scale. Mm -hmm. And that hygiene just takes operational discipline Mm -hmm. that sometimes as an entrepreneur or as a founder isn't really the most fun stuff to do. No. But you got to do it. Yeah. If you, if you want or that outcome. Or surround yourself with other people who are forcing that. That's yeah. right. And if you want that outcome, you got to be committed to doing that. Yeah. And so tell me about Imparity. I love uh, the way you've described your values and I love the problem that you're solving. I wish that I could use Imparity because it's just larger companies that are your customers, right? Yeah, I would say it's a it's a spectrum, but mostly mid to lar- to later. But who stage. does this for our size companies? Like, yeah, everybody needs this. Maybe one day we'll we'll. Or have maybe a, I'll get to maybe that's my goal. There you I go get to be an Imparity customer. Yes, I love that. And, so and Derek Sliger is your co-founder. He is. Uh, he's a very good personal friend of mine, and and Derek is somebody who was also, if you go all the way back to Blue Dot, he was an engineer at that company. He ended up being the first person we brought on board when we started Aperture. He's our VP of engineering uh, and scaled. I mean, that is this is a man who has scaled with every challenge that's been presented. When we first started working together, individual contributor, engineer, you know, maybe Leader. spoke 10 words a week 
uh, at least to me. And <laughs> Maybe that's why you're a good friend. <laughs> like, just listen, no speaking. No, no, on the contrary. Yeah. I learned so much I love that. from him. Um, and so over the years, you know, we went from sort of two people working in the same office to, you know, working a little more closely together to being very good personal friends. And uh, our wives grew up together, which is a whole other story. It's been super fun. Our kids are five months apart. Oh, that's so, a dream. Yeah, it's just, it is a dream. And I'm so grateful for that that partnership and that friendship. And so you started it just in 2016, but it doesn't feel like that. It's, it's I mean, talk about a real company. Yeah, I mean, we've taken every one of, uh, I, we've taken all of our dreams, all of our aspirations, all of our learning, and just, you know, tripled down on it and gone all in. Like, all chips are in on this yeah. thing. Um, because... We see such a massive opportunity to build a company that, you know, is really everlasting, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was just sharing last week with our with our team, you know, I would love to see us build a company that outlasts me. Yeah. And that sounds kind of nuts because that, that's not really something that a lot of people I think talk about or at least, you know, really um, have the, the space to think about. But when we look at the value that we're providing to our customers and what that value lets us do in terms of the the universe that we build and the opportunity that we build inside of our company um, for the people that that work at Emparity, um, it's really, really special. I love that. And so I know that I've read the values play for each other, build for durability, make something better. Yes. So how do you look for qualities that exemplify that? What qualities would you say exemplify that? Yeah. So there's a handful of things. And and a couple of people who have been really influential here. So our head of people, Mary, uh, who came from a decade at Amazon, who I don't think you've met yes, Mary, I right? Love her. Okay, yeah. I think a lot of it is on, you know, Mary and you met Sammy and now oh, Sasha yeah. on our team. Like they've got really good instincts for that kind of stuff. And so we really lean on our people team and our recruiting team mm-hmm. to assess for that. Um, and then, you know, we look for ways in which we can experientially validate it. So, for example, is this somebody who is very focused on, well, what role am I playing and, you know, what exactly is in it for me, me, which is really important. I I think it'd be unfair for us to say that, you know, the career progression and the career trajectory for somebody is certainly a a high priority, but you want people that want to be on the mission, right? First and foremost, it's like, I want to be on the mission. I want to be part of this. I want to grow something significant. And I understand I'm going to play different roles Mm -hmm. along the way, Mm -hmm. right? And if they're too focused on themselves, then I don't think they would fit into the two of these, Mm -hmm. play for each other and make something better because otherwise they're just looking to kind of execute on something. That's right. Versus really think outside the box and be thinking, how is this impacting everything? Right. And you're right. And that value, by the way, is make something better today. Yeah, I love that. The urgency... Uh, of oh, that is so the word important. today is, is the, actually critical. The word today is critical for no, me it's because so true. Uh, you have to be able, and you know this building companies yourself, you have to have a relentless focus on speed. Yeah. And that is your one, you, of all your unique advantages, speed is your biggest. Yeah. Compa- What's a big differentiator too because people are shocked when you're on it. It turns out <laughs> just doing what you say you're going to do like, is wow. ridiculously underrated. Especially in my industry. So I also noticed that you have um, two women on yes. your leadership board. Yes. And um, I mean, on your leadership team and a female board member. Yes. Um, which is incredible. Were you intentional about that? Or is it just like I hired smart people? They happen to be women. You know, it was certainly more I hire smart people. They have to be women. I, I have to admit, I probably shouldn't say that, but that is 
my focus is get the right people. Yeah. Now, I think having balance on the team is super important yeah. and having the right mix. And so, you know, if you can, so for example, with Kelly, you know, uh, Kelly Wright was on our board. Yeah. You know, I think it was certainly opportunistic. We weren't necessarily looking for a new independent board member, but we thought, gosh. She's a good one. You're right. She's got super high horsepower, uh, great experience relative to what we need. And the fact that she's a woman brings good diversity yeah. to the boardroom. So we like that. Um, I think, uh, you know, with Amy Pelly, who's our, our CFO, or Mary Miller, who's uh, running people, as, as we've talked about, you know, these are just the right people for the job, yeah. right? And we got fortunate that um, they bring, you know, a, a good uh, diverse view on things that I mm-hmm. think is really balancing. Um, but if they were men, they would They be would hired, hopefully right? do the same thing, yeah. Right. So um, what would you say, you said you want to build a company that lives beyond you. Mm-hmm. So that means for your children, your children's children, to be aware of the company and the impact that you're having. But what personal legacy do you hope to leave? Yeah, you know, um, there's a couple things. I think for me, it's certainly less about my children. I, I want my children to go develop and build their lives their own way. I don't I don't have that same sort of like, you know, oh, I need to go. And I want to give them, you know, whatever help I can, but I don't necessarily see them, you know, being a part of this business or anything mm-hmm. like that per se. Um, I think for me, legacy really stands on, um, you know, what what we can do philanthropically with our time and resources to mm-hmm. help our community and give people um, equal opportunities in education and the arts and healthcare. Uh, I think these are responsibilities that we have as business leaders, or if we get lucky enough to be in a position where we can be helpful to to other people, then mm-hmm. that's something we have to do. And so that to me is not optional. Um, I appreciate that. I just went to a talk on this. This is actually so relevant right now. Yeah. I I just think I've gotten super lucky yeah. uh, a bunch of times. And I just don't get – it's just not even a conversation. It's like if you get lucky, you got to pay it forward. Um, and two, I think it's – can you create a system, right? Like I, we, we, so as an example, at Imperity, we do two big services projects a year. Um, and that's really important to me. What are they? Um, so we do United Way Day of Caring, uh, usually in the summer, mm-hmm. I think it is, or end of summer. And then we pick a different one in the, in the winter. So we do like every six months. Mm-hmm. And so the, the rotating one. So, uh, last year we did this crazy, which I think everybody should do this, which is a union gospel mission. Oh yeah, the search, search and rescue. rescue. Yeah, so I did that. I've done that the last two months. It's awesome. So life altering. Yeah, everybody should do it. Everybody, I mean, everybody should, do, should that. do it. Um, and so that that's one. And then you know th- we're doing this incredible thing this this holiday season where um, there's actually I didn't even know about this, but there's an organization to support. Uh, orphans and foster children in Washington State that has this, and I've seen pictures, this like pretty amazing store where everything's free. And so they get to feel like they're going to a retail store and like have a shopping experience yes. and get stuff. But Are you talking about the treehouse? I think that might be the name. Yeah. So we I do think. volunteer about once a month. We try to just go out. And all of these things are things that you get to do when it's your own company. Right. You're like, this is what I would do. And right. now I want to share this with my team. And it's bonding, but it's giving back. It like hits every box. Well, it's this, it's this, uh, it's a standard I think we want to set around so the fact good. that, look, we have incredibly talented people at Imperity. And they're coming to work every day and creating tremendous value. And I believe that with that pace of value creation is a responsibility to go and do good in your community mm-hmm. uh, with your time and your resources. And so 
you know, the last thing that I can or should do is, you know, force everybody to do it or say, this is what you got to go do. But what I do want to is say, hey, here's an environment where you're going to learn about these kinds of opportunities Mm -hmm. and you're going to be exposed to that Um, because that's not something everybody has an opportunity to be exposed to. I certainly didn't, you know, 20 years ago. I think it's great that you're doing that. And so the final question for you, because this is the name of our podcast, is what fuels you? Yeah. Um, What word? What what? What fuels you? You know, um, I am really fueled by finding the outer bounds of your own capacity, right? Like, I feel like life is this very rare gift, you know, um, and uh, we have this time on the planet to sort of unpack you know, everything that life can offer us and everything that we can find out about ourselves. And so I just want to, and I I think about that in all dimensions. I think about professionally, I think about that with my family, I think about my friendships. Like I just want to experience, you know, all the things that life offers and live life and learn about myself through that process. Like I think I'm going to be learning about myself to the day I die. Yeah. And I'm just really fueled by learning about that um, through these different experiences. And I think company building, and you don't have to be a founder or a CEO to company build. I I say this all the time. Company building to me is the the highest velocity way to learn about yourself and people because of the rapid pace of change and the rapid pace of accomplishment. So it's it's something I I feel so blessed to be able to do. Yeah, that's awesome. This is fun. Yes. Thanks. We could go for hours. We really could. So when when you're done with your whole 30 and you're ready to drink... We'll bring in some beers and we'll do it again. We should do a version of should that. We, we should do a we cocktail version. A, I love Sunny it. Sunny or your, your friend Sunny and whoever else you yeah, think. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank that you so great. much. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Shauna. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.